from the entertainment capital of the world, Las Vegas. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway, for Creator Talks, the show where I interview writers and artists working in comic books and in other mediums. In the next couple of weeks, the spotlight will shine on Ahoy Comics. And joining me for this episode's interview is Tom Pyre, editor-in-chief of Ahoy Comics. Tom will tell me about the formation of Ahoy Comics and some of the titles. Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Terror and one that Tom writes along with art by Greg Scott, High Heaven. We discuss both titles in depth and talk about Elmeet. Just what the heck is that? Also, Tom and I talk about Ahoy's other great titles and what the plans are for the rest of 2020. But before I get into Ahoy Comics, I talked to Tom about some of his earlier work, including Our Man, Marvel Team-Up, Magnus Robot Fighter Captain Kid, and working with Mark Wade. And to wrap up our discussion, I kick back with the creator and ask Tom the fun questions I ask all my guests, like, what do you do for recreation? What's your favorite birthday? What pictures or posters did you have on your bedroom wall? What was the one? comic project that got away and finally what book changed the way he thought all this and more coming up on creator talks creator talks is available on apple podcasts please subscribe so you don't miss a single episode and please when you have a chance rate and review the show it goes a long way to helping the show grow its audience now let's turn to my conversation with writer and editor-in-chief of ahoy comics tom pyre here now on Creator Talks. Tom, welcome to Creator Talks. Christopher, thank you. Thanks for having me. Before we get into Ahoy Comics and your work there as editor-in-chief and writer of many of the titles, I want to ask you a few things about your previous work. Now, have you ever said that your work, Our Man, was one of DC's worst-selling titles? It didn't sell that well, no. We had an editor named Tony Bedard, who was wonderful. And I think the reason we lasted 25 issues or whatever it was, was he just um, would pitch a fit whenever they'd try to cancel it. Nobody uh, bought the thing. Why do you think that was? Was it just the timing of it? Were they just looking for, I don't know, new things? I love those old heroes. Well, you know, Starman was doing very well in around the same time. I guess they just did a better job than we did. <laughs> well, some books that I think did really well that I personally enjoyed back in the day, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but I guess now it was. I was always a big fan of Marvel Team Up from the 70s with Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And you did a run in 97. I did. I mean, the artists on that book, Patrick Olaf, Al Williamson, Derek Robinson, Tom Grinberg, Dick Giordano, it's like a who's who of fantastic artists. And the stories were just fun. You must be very proud of that run. I was. Thank you very much for noticing and remembering that run. I loved being able to put some words in Spider-Man's mouth. He's an old friend of mine, you know, Uh (laughs) for a long time. So that was a real fun and uh, thrilling gig for me. And another one, I was a longtime reader of uh, Valiant and Acclaim, and you took over and helped reboot Magnus Robot Fighter. I've read him for many, many years, and a fan of the Gold Key and all of them, so that was a great run, too. Thank you. We had Mike McCone, which you're going to have a good comic book if you have Mike McCone drawing it. And then more recently was Captain Kid through mm-hmm. uh, Aftershock and working with Mark Wade 
and Wilfredo Torres. I love his art too. And you know, Mark is just an amazing writer as well. What's it like collaborating with Mark on a book like that? Mark and I have known each other for a long, long time, and we've talked a lot. And we usually talk about comics, and we've got the same language and the same shorthand. It's like twins speaking gibberish to each other, <laughs> understanding it, you know. Mm-hmm. So working with Mark is like working with myself. He brings so much to it, but uh, we both kind of think in the same direction in a lot of ways. I've learned a lot from him. I don't know how much he's learned from me. Well, you guys go back to the days at Vertigo as editors. I got my job when he left DC, so I like sort of filled his slot. You know, he was starting his writing career then, and he would come around the office a lot, and he was tremendously friendly, and we got along great. What do you think you picked up from him? What do you think you learned the takeaways from uh, that time with him? I think the soul of Mark's work is that when he writes about a superhero, he really inhabits their point of view. He really meditates on what it feels like physically to have their powers, what it feels like emotionally to be in their situation. And I think he's helped me do the same thing, to just sort of uh, really deeply inhabit the world. And, you know, you can only do that after you start writing. You can't, like, sort of plan everything out perfectly and then start writing, because until you're writing with the characters panel to panel, you don't really know them or know what they're feeling or know what's possible. Improvisation is a lot more important than I think a lot of people understand. I can see that in your work, and we're going to talk about that in a bit. But before we move on to Ahoy, you know, I can see that in Mark's passion for his work because I saw him at Baltimore. I've spoken to him before, but I saw him at Baltimore, and he was on a panel, and he was talking about writing Superman. And it's on YouTube somewhere, and he got choked up talking about the character. And I was like, wow, that's a guy who really knows the character, and it really means a lot. All of us in the room just, like, blown away with how much of himself he put into his work. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm sure Mark won't mind me telling you he just spent the last few weeks rereading every Superboy story from the 1940s through up into the 1980s. That's dedication, holy cow. It really is, when you consider <laughs> How many super baby stories you had to read, you know? But, uh, so he'll do these reading projects and he'll give me reports and send mm-hmm. me funny panels. And I'm glad he's doing it, frankly, and not me, because it's too much like studying for me. <laughs> well, preparing for interviews for me is not studying because it's such a pleasure, the books that I've had to, not had to, but that I wanted to read to have this discussion with you. And it opened up a whole new world for me. I really enjoyed them. So let's talk about what you're doing with Ahoy Comics, founded very recently, just back in 2018 by Hart Seeley, and of course, joined also by Stuart Moore. Tell me about the founding of the company, why this was the time to start it. Floor is yours, sir. Well, who knows if it was the time to start it, but it was the time we started it. It so happened that our publisher, Hart, found the money to do it and had the desire to do it. Hart and Frank Camuso, who does uh, graphic novels for elementary school kids that are terrific, Uh, The three of us have been friends for a million years. So Hart wanted to do something with us. We'd all collaborated creatively over the years. We've written together, and and he just wanted another caper. So we did this. What really enabled us to do it was our vast ignorance of what we were going to encounter, how difficult it would be to set up a company from scratch when you don't know anything about business. But we did it, and um, here we are. Now, what were some of the difficulties? What did you find out? I guess, like you said, ignorance was bliss. It couldn't hold you back. It wouldn't stop you. But what did you find out? Well, you just have to learn a lot that you're unfamiliar with. For instance, live inside the comic book distribution system, 
we just didn't know what the rules were and we found out and we did well with them. In fact, um, the thing I really like to brag about is that between September 2018 and uh, the beginning of the pandemic crisis, we never shipped an issue late. We probably put out about 60, between 60 and 70 issues and everything was on time. I think I just meandered into answering a different question, but basically, one thing that does come to mind is just learning the ins and outs of the distribution system and what's expected of us. I think we were able to navigate it. One thing we learned early was if you want something done well, hire somebody who really knows how to do it. Don't try to just do it yourself. And we learned that with the website. We have a terrific website now, comicsahoy.com. Uh, we learned that with publication design. We have a great designer, John J. Hill. I'm very glad we were able to get experts to do these jobs rather than blundering through them ourselves and coming up with something that looks ridiculous. Well, they're high quality books. They're great books, great teams on them. And people might say, why another comic book company? What's so different? Well, one thing right off the bat when I read through these books, and this is by design, they all have an element of humor to them, no matter what the story is. Yep, that's very important to us. They don't have to be comedies, but they need to be funny on some level. When I was working at the Big Two, they do a lot of great stuff, but the frustration for me as a writer was being entertaining was sometimes the second, third, fourth, or fifth priority, which you had to squeeze in around usually matters of continuity or crossovers or having to stop your story to accommodate theirs. And it, it really it seemed like as long as you checked all those boxes, the mere fact of being entertaining and clever was being missed sometimes. So... I just wanted every one of our books to be like a delicious bag of cookies, you know, <laughs> that you could uh, just really be entertained by without other considerations. You don't have to read hashtag danger to get high heaven and you don't have to read the wrong earth to get Captain Ginger. That's the way we want it. Because, you know, if you get into shared universes and stuff, you're playing a game that two giant companies have already won. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's kind of silly to get involved with that, I think. And as we all know, it gets really complicated over the decades when you have a shared universe and mm -hmm. there's continuity and you're going to make some people happy and you're going to make some people really unhappy. So I do really appreciate the standalone books. I enjoy those more because I don't, there's nothing required to get into the series. You just show up, just read it and you're not lost. You don't have to read something else to understand this and that. And not only is there humor in there, and like you said, it's not comedy per se. There's just little moments of humor that make me laugh out loud when I read the books. You cool. have backup stories. You have single panel cartoons, prose features. There's a lot packed into There's a great deal of value for the comic reader in Ahoy Comics. We wanted that. The thought of somebody spending three ninety nine on a comic and being done reading it in seven minutes just breaks my heart. So we tried to pack a lot of stuff in there so you could spend time with the comic. Also, we were looking at old comics. You know, this was a, a blank slate. So we were looking at old comics for what did they do in the past and what did work and what did not work. And before letter pages, they used to run short stories in comic books. Like Stan Lee's first job was a Captain America text story. And they had to do this to qualify for cheap postal rates because comics didn't rate it. You had to have some text in there. They would hire people to do these stories very cheaply and very quickly. And I've seen a thousand of these, and I don't think I ever was able to finish one. So, like, our approach was, what if you brought back these stories, but they were good? I think we've managed to do that. We've run some really nice short stories and some great poems and 
We've even had crossword puzzles. That's a gratifying part of the job, too, because we can include more creative people and just offer things you would never find in a comic book that uh, maybe you'd like. Just stumble yeah. across something and you'd like it. It's more like a magazine now. Yeah, we call them comic magazines, in fact. Our Twitter handle is Ahoy Comic Mags. One of my favorite titles, probably my favorite title, is Edgar Allan Poe's Stifter of Terror. It's really interesting in that you picked Edgar Allan Poe. He's a celebrity who's dead. There's no heirs. No money's owed to anyone, so you can use him. <laughs> you read my mind. <laughs> but he's an amazing writer, but also a tragic figure as well. And you managed to find humor in that because he introduces a lot of the stories. He's the narrator and you do expose some of the issues that he has throughout his life while he's narrating, in fact, his drinking and so forth. Were there other reasons why you picked Poe besides, you know, it's cheap? Nobody would be telling us what to do with him. You know, we wouldn't have to send our stories to Poe for him to approve them. He's so well known. There's like two photos of him, but everybody knows his face. Like everyone knows his face. So that gives us a license to um, put him on covers and people know what the joke is. And then to have him introduce a horror anthology, the approach was like, you know those, like the old Twilight Zone where there's a guy working as a department store Santa Claus and he's like an alcoholic and he's really unhappy. Yes. That's kind of how Poe is introducing horror stories in a comic book. It's like he's reduced to this, but it's kind of his own fault. And you can kind of see it in issue one of the first series. The original idea was that the introductions would go on longer than the stories because... Drinking makes him really talkative. <laughs> that only worked once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> well, every cover is amazing and they're funny. As I read the issues, I thought, you know, this is a lot like a Mad magazine, which Mad is no longer producing news stories anymore. Now they're all reprints. And then sure enough, you had a Mad Magazine Alfred E. Newman parody cover down the road with one of the issues. How do you come up with those amazing covers? We know covers sell the books. They just really get people's attention, whether they're in the comic shop, online even, you know, in the catalogs. How do you come up with those great covers? Well, we have Richard Williams painting them. And Richard Williams is, a, is not only great, but he's a mad artist. He painted mad covers for years. He's so terrific. He's so talented. He sells every gag so beautifully. Poe is our Alfred E. Newman. Right around the time Mad stopped doing mostly new material, they uh, canceled the Vertigo imprint at DC, which is where I used to work a long time ago. And that was like the mature horror imprint. And it just seemed to us like this book was kind of carrying the torch for both of those things. Mad divided by Vertigo. And we'll see if the reader thinks so. But that but we're very fond of it for that reason. Oh, it's wonderful. I love it. I look forward to it every time it comes out. Thanks. Another book that you did, this one you wrote and with art by Greg Scott, which I just adore this book, is High Heaven. Thanks. I love those kind of books, like when you put out uh, Second Coming, that Mark Russell came to you with the book, since mm -hmm. DC wouldn't publish it. I think it was the first one I read. And I'm laughing out loud. And so I'm like, well, this high heaven has to be for me. I went back and read that. And just for people that haven't read it, you really need to check it out. And everyone knows Greg Scott's art. Heaven is not idyllic. St. Peter is an absolute jerk. And there's different levels of heaven. And that's what makes the story so good. Because there's high heaven for those who have earned it. And then there's like a lower heaven for those that they need to get in to kind of get the numbers up so that God is happy. Uh, he's exalted and not insulted. It's a great concept. How did you come up with that? <laughs> I, 
I was uh, sitting in a park with my partner, Mary Seo. We weren't a couple yet. We both had been gone through separately through some bad times. And we're sitting in this really sterile, manicured park surrounded by these refurbished old buildings that no one is using. And Mary said, we're in heaven. And then we just started riffing up all of the cheap and disappointing things you could put into like a mediocre heaven. Mm -hmm. That's how it was created. It was created by both of us on that day and in ensuing conversations. For some reason, it just, it fit our lives perfectly to be joking and riffing about a heaven that was terrible. One of the concepts in the book is the idea of L-meet. Mm -hmm. And that's an acronym for lacking meaning, empathy, aesthetics, and thought. It's the substance which is bound to all things found lacking, and that draws people into lower heaven, thereby increasing the numbers. Was there something that you experienced in your own life that you're like, wow, this is really lacking me, and that you came up with this concept of L-meat? A friend of mine uh, made a um, grocery list on a post-it note. One of the items was L-meat, and he meant lunch meat. We started riffing on L-meat. What horrible thing could El Meat be? We uh, experienced a scene that ended up in the comic book. Going into a park at night, everything seems to happen in parks. And it looked like there was like a dead person, like a really shabbily dressed dead person down the road. And we just sort of tiptoed in that direction. And it turned out to be like some busted up cinder blocks. So we named it El Meat. Like it was some sort of like presence in the world that was almost satanic but more mediocre than that mm -hmm. if you're following me yeah and i'm not sure how well i'm following myself but it was <laughs> it was that kind of stuff it, almost everything in that book just comes from joking around with friends well there's some examples in the book of what elmi is and what it bonds to and that includes chain restaurant birthday songs lottery tickets and two-hour waits between buses yes those are all Absolutely, all meat. That used to be quite a thing, the chain restaurant birthday songs everybody would have. And I felt so bad for the staff that had to go out there and stop what they were doing and start clapping and singing. And it's like, oh, lay. And they all walk away, like, okay, back to work. <laughs> me too. Me too. I felt bad for them too. And it's, I guess it's kind of a silver lining of the pandemic is that we don't have those anymore. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> That's one thing we don't have to have at home. Right. Tell me in the audience about some of the other great titles that Ohoy is putting out. Captain Ginger is by Stuart Moore and June Brigman. It's one of my favorite books. It's a uh, about a starship whose crew is like cats or humanoid cat people who still act like cats. So it's about having this sort of military structure of cats who are absolutely not cut out for any kind of military structure. And it's got all the familiar comforting tropes of starships and force fields and ray cannons and strange new worlds. So I love that book. And June Brigman does an amazing job drawing it. She's got a lot of cats. That's the reason Stuart created this book, is he knew she would really kick it with cats. So that's one. I mean, second coming by Mark Russell and Richard Pace. I guess I don't have to talk about that because everybody knows about it. That's just the best superhero comic out there right now, I think. Everybody talks about it as the Jesus comic, but the other half of it is, is a superhero. And he's tackling problems that no superhero was ever permitted to tackle, which is the uselessness of force in most of the problems that you face in life. I just love that book. It's so funny and so thought-provoking. And Mark 
has a way of writing where he um, really thinks deeply about things, but manages to put them in a form that goes down really easy, really simple and fun. I wish I could do that like him. He's great. I have a book called The Wrong Earth and a spinoff called Dragonfly and Dragonfly Man. And it's about a uh, golden age to silver age, flag-waving, upstanding, wholesome, super-masked crime fighter. His parallel world version, who's like a post-Frank Miller, ultra-violent, vigilante. It's like they're the same guy, but they're two completely different people in the way they behave and the worlds they live in. On Dragonfly Man's world, every cop is honest. And on Dragonfly's world, every cop is dishonest. Dragonfly will just sort of like punch you in the chin and you'll fall asleep. And Dragonfly's liable to set you on fire. So <laughs> they get stranded on each other's planets. So they're, they're sort of trapped in these worlds. It's like a double Howard the Duck. They're trapped in these worlds. That even the good guys don't share their values. Nobody shares their values. It's a very difficult adjustment for both of them. Dragonfly and Dragonfly Man is about their lives before they switched Earths. So we get to see them in their own milieu and with their own sidekicks and all this stuff. The collected edition of that is our first post-pandemic publication. It'll be in comic shops, I believe, June 3rd. It also includes the free comic book day issue we did last year, drawn by Russ Braun, a self-contained story, Dragonfly and Dragonfly Man. And the main book is drawn by Peter Krauss, who's brilliant. But Jamal Eigel, who did the covers and draws The Wrong Earth, created the entire concept with me. He is absolutely a 50% co-creator and brilliant artist to boot. He just started working on the uh, second volume of The Wrong Earth. That will be coming. And you still have uh, Billionaire Island coming from Mark Russell? Yeah, we were able to get one issue out of that before the crisis hit in stores. And we're going um, to be making an announcement very soon about what our post-pandemic plans are. So in terms of, we have books that were announced like Ash and Thorn and Penultimate. Billionaire Island, and we'll be able to announce very soon what our concrete plans are for those books. How has Ahoy managed to stay afloat during the pandemic? I mean, keeping things running as best you can remotely. You know, Art Seeley's the best publisher in the world. He said he didn't want anyone to have to stop working. We were authorized to keep people who were working on things to keep them working. There was no pencils down, and that's great. So uh, without any concrete plans, deadlines got a lot looser. I mean, <laughs> I didn't care when you sent work in, frankly, because <laughs> we're all learning to deal with this thing. I don't know about anybody else, but with me now, if you send me an email and I didn't respond like within two hours, I would start to feel bad. Now that's like two days. Okay? <laughs> Has the time off with the looser deadlines led to more creativity? I hope so. I hope we had enough before. That's a good question. One I don't really know how to answer. We're just, try just trying to keep it going. And do you think the pandemic will change the way comics are distributed forever? Do you think there'll be a change once we come out of this? Or will this be going back to the same old distribution system, the same format for comics? I think everything depends on what happens in the larger world, whether we get some leadership to deal with this crisis ever or not, and uh, what the economic repercussions turn out to be, how many people die, whether it's hard to get food. There are a lot of questions that have to be answered before we know what's going to happen to any particular business, I think. Yeah, it's definitely a nationwide, global reaction. How is everything going to fit together when this is all over? 
Now, you had mentioned seasons in your book. So your approach for your publications is going to be putting out seasons rather than just ongoing, continuous. You do a series, you could call it a mini-series, but here we call it seasons. Then there's a break and then season two. Why did you decide to take that approach? Well, partially because we wanted to build in time to stay on schedule. As a new company and a small company, we knew it would not help our reputation if we had late ships. And I'm glad we didn't have any late ships. In order to make an impression as, as a company that's steady, we needed to ship on time. That's a huge help. Because, you know, as you work on a series, you fall a little more behind, a little more behind. And if we're able to stop it for six months or however much time we're stopping it for, it gives everyone time to make up the schedule. Also, we can look at how much work is done and decide when to bring something back. It's a smart approach because if you fall behind, if books ship late, you might think, well, what's the harm? Once it's collected, it can still be sold. But the problem is if you don't have people's attention on a regular basis and you lose that momentum, they go somewhere else. That's really most of it. That's how they do television. You know, they spend a lot of time making a season of uh, 12 shows. You know, you can spend all year doing that, I guess. And it also gives you time to adjust things. You have some feedback. You can step back, look at the series and say, okay, for this season, we might want to change this or that because we know this works, this doesn't work. You have time to assess everything. Yep. Well, at this stage in the show, this is where I ask my guests fun questions. I call it kicking back with the creator. Nothing difficult. Just to learn more about you as a person. Oh, great. Tom, what do you like to do for recreation? <laughs> I'm the least athletic person you love me. I'm like a lump. So nothing like that, please. I'm just a geek, man. I like to read comics, watch movies, eat and drink, you know. Mm-hmm. Nothing healthy. <laughs> nothing, nothing. If you think back, what was your favorite birthday in your life? And why was it your favorite? What was special about that one? Oh, that's a good question. When I was young enough to have recently left home, I lived in a house with a bunch of roommates. They were older than me, and I liked them quite a lot. When my birthday came, they not only chipped in to buy me a nice gift, which was a big set of markers, color markers, but they had a weird surprise party in that. Instead of people waiting to yell surprise, just people showed up at the house one by one, and there was like 50 people there before I realized that this was a party for me. And that was great. I thought every birthday would be like that from then on, and none of them were, of course. <laughs> when you were a teenager, 11, 12, somewhere in there, sure. what posters and or pictures did you have on your bedroom wall? I was a kid in the 60s, and they actually started selling. That's when they started selling big posters that you could just put up on your wall with thumbtacks and make your parents angry. And it was around the time of the Batman TV show. So superheroes were getting like popular and campy. So I had big posters of Superman and Batman. I was so pleased that I was able to get them. Where did you get them? Uh, at a used bookstore called the Economy Bookstore in Syracuse, New York, which had in the basement about 40 million comics with the covers ripped off to be sold for like two and three cents a piece. So when you were a kid then, if you started reading uh, comics with a particular issue, you could so easily and cheaply get so many back issues to catch up. It was great. Amazing that you had something like that, that you could read so many old comics for just a few cents. So what they did was the newsstands, we'll call them, the places that sold comic books, they were returnable. Nobody wanted to pay to have them shipped back. You would just rip the covers off or rip the logos off the covers send them back as proof that you didn't sell them. And so they'd get credit for it. And then they would turn around and resell them anyway to these used bookstores. 
and that's how that worked. So you would get a comic with, you'd get like, oh, there's Fantastic Four number two with the covers on it, but the logo's been ripped off. And it was pretty fantastic. What was your feeling when you discovered that store? Was that the first time you had seen all those comics in one place? I felt like I always knew it was there. Like I knew it was there before I was born. Like uh, I don't remember ever discovering it. It was just a fact of life, like Mount Rushmore or something. When I was younger, I went on a trip to Vermont with my parents, and they went to a bookstore. I was modestly interested. And they said to the owner, do you have any comics? Because they knew I collected comics, and I was about mm, 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, my, my son has some down the basement. He has a comics area. And like, okay, and I went down the steps, and I had never seen back issues altogether. I've always just had gone to the 7-Eleven and picked <laughs> up comics. And I just started shaking. I was like, oh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Because there was like books on the wall, books in stacks. Some were just like 25 cents. <laughs> um, I picked up uh, the second issue of Iron Man and Tales of Suspense because they had clipped off the logo like we talked yeah. about. Right. And it was like yeah. a couple bucks, you know. And I was like, oh, my God. And some things stupidly. I'm like, well, I don't want that one because I read it as a reprint. <laughs> be it'd be worth so much now but like you i was just a reader you know i just wanted to read them exactly we'll let you spend x amount and you pick out what you want and this will be your birthday present so i just know that feeling of finding all those back issues and to think you found like fantastic four number two without the cover or the logo ripped off i mean i would be just as thrilled to have something like that to read to me there's nothing like reading the original edition the original copy of the book well that must have been your best birthday yeah that one definitely stood out in my mind i've never kept a journal seriously but mm -hmm. for a short period i did and that was in it that summer <laughs> right now this is a variation of the island book you're stuck on a deserted island and you can have one book or a series of books if they're related comic graphic novel novel for pleasure not for survival, just like something to pass the time, something you either have always wanted to read or you just return to again and again because you get so much from that book. You would want to have that to read. What would be your island book for pleasure? Oh, boy, it'd be really hard to narrow it down. I mean, is it a comic or I don't know. There's like um, I could probably keep P.G. Wodehouse's Jeep series. I could probably read those 100 times and still find things to laugh at. It'd be cheating to ask for all of them, but like the Code of the Worcesters, which is the best one. I could probably laugh at that book for the rest of my life. Now, I don't know anything about those books. Can you explain a bit about them? They're very light stories, very similar to each other. And they're from the point of view of a young, rich guy in the 1920s in London who gets into these scrapes. They're pretty low stakes. And he's kind of an idiot about them, but he's really well-intentioned. And his valet, he has the genius of that man. He gets him out of every scrape. And this service extends to his friends as well. But the main thing about them is the language. The language is so beautifully written. Just turns of phrase make you laugh all the time because he's, it's first person, the rich guy, Bertie, and he's describing Again, very low-stakes situations, as if they were life and death. I recommend them. And you could start with short stories, if you're not sure, because there's like 30 short stories. P.G. Wodehouse, the Jeeves stories. There's also a TV series with, from the early 90s, which is how I got into them, with uh, Stephen Fry and Blanking, the guy who played House. Oh, Hugh Laurie. 
Hugh Laurie. And it's absolutely the right tone and flavor of the books. It's terrific. So okay. I recommend that. I think one of the streaming services has it. Was it Jeeves and Wooster, something like that? Yeah, it's called Jeeves and Wooster. Okay, okay, yeah, it's yeah. It's great. I totally recommend that. Oh, thank you. I will check that out. I'm familiar with it. I haven't had a chance to watch it, but now's the time <laughs> if I'm going to do that. Yeah. Now, is there a book that you read, it could be a comic too, that changed the way you think? It really left an impression on you. That was the one that had you stop and think about it, and you thought about it for a long time thereafter. If it didn't change the way you think, at least it was something that you really pondered over. I don't think I'd like them now, but William Burroughs' books changed the way I read. He was a great avoider of cliché, so he would put words in sequences you've never seen before, some of which were really hard to read. But it gave every word a lot of impact. It's like, you know how when you have a cliche, you have a phrase you hear over and over again, it just sort of dribbles away its meaning. Right. And the way he wrote, every word had such an impact of its own meaning. that It, it made me, it sort of, I felt awakened. You'd actually absorb it better that way rather than just kind of passing over because you're like, oh yeah, I know what this phrase says. So you can kind of read it on site. I just saw words differently after that. They weren't padded anymore if you rolled them down the stairs they would break they weren't cushioned does that make any sense that's pretty interesting yeah now this is another hypothetical if ahoy were to make an action figure of you me that's right what would be your accessory that says something about you it would be beer ah okay because that goes into what is your beverage of choice yeah i didn't even have to think about that <laughs> <laughs> Well, what's your favorite? Are you an IPA person, a lager? I like IPAs, and I like Pepsi Blue Ribbon because they don't do commercials. <laughs> I really hate commercials. Did they also make more of a craft beer recently? If they did, I, I wouldn't trust them to pull it off well. <laughs> I thought I had one a couple years ago at a restaurant. <laughs> it wasn't bad. I would avoid something like that at all. <laughs> So you like something a little simpler, not too fancy. Yeah, yeah. You know, I used to, um, and I still do, really love coffee. And mm -hmm. a consequence of this COVID-19, everyone staying home, is I didn't go out for another cup of coffee later in the day to kind of break things up. And my wife's like, oh, my stomach just really feels acidy. I'm like, well, I'll make half-calf. I'll cut it in half. Mm -hmm. And then I started waking up with raging headaches and I really? had no energy. And I remembered I did this once before years ago where I weaned myself off of caffeine. And I felt terrible for like a week. And I realized that's what I'm going through. That's why I feel so draggy is because I haven't had the amount of caffeine I normally have. I had a roommate once who said that sleep is a caffeine deficiency disease. <laughs> And I love the caffeine because I love what it does. It it really winds me up. Uh, my wife will say sometimes too much. <laughs> but When you figure this out, did you go back on it? No, actually, I'm pushing through. I'm uh, trying to just, I mean, I still have some caffeine in my system. I still drink a half-calf, but that's it. I'll have like one tumbler, which is maybe like a couple cups of coffee, and that's it. And very little diet soda, which has caffeine, which is not a lot. And I thought, well, if I can get through this and I get my energy back, then when I really need caffeine to stay awake, because I can't stand when I'm at work and I need a little boost, 
but I've already had a lot of caffeine and it does nothing more than give me palpitations and makes me jittery, but I'm still tired. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I want to save it as that magic bolt to kind of help me out when I need it. Good luck. Thanks. <laughs> By the time this call's over, I'll be down and like drinking coffee from the pot. <laughs> <laughs> a real monkey on your back. Don't yeah. You? Yeah. And my final question, what is the one that got away from you? A project that you really wanted to do. It could be a comic. It could be a comic you wanted. It could be a project you were going to work on. What is that one that got away? I don't think there's one I thought I was going to do and then they yanked it away. But once in a while I stop and I notice that strangely, I've never professionally put any words in Ben Grimm's mouth. And that feels really nuts to me. Like, how can I get through this much life and never write Ben Grimm? It's the life I have. So so Fantastic Four is one of your favorite titles because you already mentioned Fantastic Four number two that you picked up. Yeah. I mean, it really was something when I was a kid. I just loved it. I loved those characters. And I especially loved the thing. I mean, he was so funny and so pathetic, obviously. And that's interesting because that injection of humor between johnny and ben and a lot of the issues when they would tease each other johnny give ben a hot foot you know and they'd start fighting like teenagers and brothers that underlying humor isn't on all the ahoy comics too there's that little relief of humor that are in the books no matter which one you read oh yeah you know on the simpsons when bart reads radioactive man and radioactive man punches a guy and makes a joke and bart laughs out loud mm-hmm. and that's what it was like to read spider-man as a kid in the 60s spider-man was so funny don't laugh out loud when I read those stories now. I still love them. Yeah, they're very different now. I just love that feeling. Just looking back on Mad and stuff when I was little, and Pogo in the newspaper. I just loved things that were funny. Absolutely. I mean, those are the things, pieces I remember most fondly, are things that really got me laughing as a kid. And that's what you've done with Ahoy Comics. I mean, I like comics of all different genre. I like the super serious ones. I like some of the dark ones. I like reading some horror but even so, I like a comic that can make me laugh out loud, which doesn't happen too often. And when it does, I remember that. And it's one that stands out in my mind. Because if you say, what did you read in the past year that you really liked? What would you nominate for this or that award? I can remember the ones I laughed out loud about or I put down and go, wow. And I think about it for a long time. And that's what you've done here. And you've put together amazing teams on these books They've done some of their best work, I think. And for people that have not checked out Ahoy Comics, it's well worth your time. You're going to get your money's worth. Three ninety nine. You're going to get backup stories. You're going to get pro stories. You're going to get little cartoons. It's like a magazine. And if you miss things like Mad, if you miss a lot of the fun that sometimes is not in comics, heck, if you like Edgar Allan Poe and you want to read a really good book, it's got some horror in it, but a lot of humor. This is for you. So, Tom, I appreciate you coming on, and thanks so much for being on Creator Talks. Thanks, Christopher, and thanks for all the kind words. That's great. Well, I really appreciate the time to be on the show on a holiday. It's a holiday? <laughs> I, I know. It's like it's a weekend. What's a weekend? You know, it's, it's yeah. just, everything's just bleeding together. I can't keep the yeah. day straight. Working from home for like two months, and I know for a lot of you guys, it's pretty much the same thing, but my wife has always worked from home since she started this job a couple of years ago that she has. But working from home is no different for me either, because I just do all my research here. But it's just weird. It's just the same. It's like Groundhog's Day. Every day is the same. I know. I know. It really is. My wife's like, what do you want to do today? Ha, ha, ha. I said, same thing we try to do every day. Pinky is take over the world. You know, like Pinky and the brand. I said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do. 
Alright folks, I have that summer schedule for Ahoy Comics. So we have coming up Ash and Thorn, a five-issue miniseries by best-selling writer Mariah McCourt and artist Sue Lee. That will now be published on June 24th, 2020, followed by issue 2 on July 8th and issue 3 on July 29th, issue 4 on August 18th, and issue 5 on September 9th. Okay, mark your calendars. Billionaire Island six-issue miniseries by acclaimed writer Mark Russell and artist Steve Pugh. That is coming back July 1st, 2020, with an all-new second issue, followed by issue 3 on July 22nd, issue 4 on August 12th, and issue 5 on September 16th, and Captain Ginger Season 2, Dog World, a six-issue miniseries by acclaimed writer Stuart Moore and artist June Brigman and Roy Richardson. Now, two issues were published during the lockdown. It will complete its serialization in an exclusive digital edition from Comixology. The first new issues of Captain Ginger Season 2 Dog World, Issue 3, is coming out June 10th, Issue 4 on July 8th, Issue 5 August 5th, and the final Issue 6 in that miniseries on September 2nd. Stuart Moore says readers can look forward to more space cat drama, including a massive starship crash, a small tragedy, and Captain Ginger's stranded crew will finally make first contact with the mysterious intelligent dogs who may or may not play poker in their spare time. Want to learn more about Captain Ginger? How about Bronze Age Boogie? Join me for my next show when my guest will be Stuart Moore. We're going to talk about his books and more about Ahoy Comics Plus. Uh, we'll kick back with the creator and ask Stuart all my fun questions I ask my guests. So again, just a reminder to please subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast platform. And please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It does go a long way to helping the podcast reach a greater audience. And thank you once again to George Hanna of Meanwhile at the Podcast for suggesting Ahoy Comics and the creators who have been my guests. Okay, that's it for this episode. So for Creator Talks... This has been your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time.